Welcome in to episode 009, Fatal to Prejudice. Uh, I got my buddy Nathan here. He's a physician at a hospital here in Columbus, and uh, I'm pretty excited to have him in. Uh, I think he's got some cool hot takes on everything, and his life's pretty interesting. So excited to uh, share this here uh, here today with him. So thank you for coming in, Nathan. Hey, pleasure to be here. Yeah, so uh, you... Let's start off where you grew up. You grew up in Milwaukee area, not originally from Columbus. No, no, not originally from Columbus. Um, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, like north suburbs of Milwaukee. It's a it's a town called Bayside. They call themselves a village, the village of Bayside. <laughs> population. The sign was right next to our house too, so it was like population three thousand two hundred eighty three. And I remember always riding my bike past it without a helmet on because you know, 1988 or whatever. And seeing the sign and being like, don't kids get born? Right? Like, why? <laughs> it can't be 3,283 still. Like, don't don't people die? But it stayed that way for like, for years in, in the village. It, it, it's a suburb of Milwaukee, yeah. So, like, how far from Milwaukee is it? Well, good question. Um, I can tell you that downtown Milwaukee, like lakefront Milwaukee, that's where the mall was that had the best baseball cards, right? <laughs> and so we were able to figure out how far it was. And, and I will tell you that, that my brother and I growing up, there wasn't anything that would really keep us from getting the best baseball cards. This is like the three-level rack packs where one of those cards was probably worth like $8. I was like, oh, you know. <laughs> and it was only at Grand Avenue Mall in downtown Milwaukee, which I think my mom said still exists, and I can't verify that. But it doesn't matter if it's January in Wisconsin and five degrees. If we had five bucks, we were going to go get a rack pack. And how are we going to get it? We're going to ride our bikes there. So how far is it? This is why I think we were crazy. My brother and I were probably like, he's older. So uh, he's two and a half years older. So maybe 11 and eight. And we would ride probably 15 miles to Grand Avenue. Remember, no phones, right? 10 degree yeah. weather. We put on these big, thick mittens. And because we wanted those rack packs, like they're in the, and they were probably like seventy nine cents cheaper than they were anywhere else we could get, so we had to ride all the way to Grand Avenue, the the <laughs> card store at Grand Avenue to buy them. So that was probably was probably fifteen miles into town, into into like the city of Milwaukee. Wow! And you rode your bikes there, like in the eighties, five degrees. How how many feet of snow on the ground? Yeah, yeah. When they plowed it, we were glad. Yeah, we did that. We did a lot of that. Like the, yeah. you know, my mom was like, "Don't cross busy streets." And we were like, "Okay, cool. Like, <laughs> there we go." Yeah, we when we also, you know, we grew up in like a macrobiotic vegan house before those words were words. But there was no dairy and there was no meat in the house. Interesting. And there was no sugar either. We had like raisins. And so again, you have like a dollar seventy nine, and you could go to the closest place to get a donut for that, or you could get on your bike in five degree weather on really really busy streets with no sidewalks, and ride five miles and get a box of donuts. <laughs> so that's what we did. What was I mean? You kind of got into it, but like, what was that like just growing up? No meat, no dairy, no sugar. Do you remember growing up that way? Um, like, did you ever just crave like meat and dairy? Obviously you crave sugar with the donuts, but. Oh, 
Yeah, you want what you can't have, right? Right. But it's true. I mean, but your environment is your environment. So, you know, people talk about folks that grow up in certain situations or deprived environments or whatever it is. And, you know, did you ever want? And it's like, I didn't know to want, especially when I was young. Um, There's stories from the neighbors. Like I still, you know, I, we were kind of a tight neighborhood of five houses. Like we had picnics together in the summer, just the five houses. And there's, you know, they tell this story about my first tuna sandwich. It was probably like, you know, 18 months old of some kid's birthday party. And they put it down in front of me. And apparently I just shoveled it in my mouth and destroyed it. <laughs> and like, uh, but that same house, you, get, you know, you know, Carl Buttig, like the Buttig meats, like the thinly sliced lunch meat of the lowest quality possible. I don't know the company, but I uh, probably know the flavor. Conceptually, <laughs> like small bags of it because they can like have a little bit lower of a sticker price or yeah. whatever. My uh, another story I've been told apparently is that we got budding one day, you know, like white bread with budding on it, <laughs> and came back to the house from across the street. Mom, 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 we got budding, <laughs> and that was like a really big deal to have the cheapest, dirtiest meat in the world because it was meat and it was something else, and yeah. just coated in sugar. And I, I know I can only imagine what my parents thought. <laughs> um. Yeah, so like what else what else happened growing up in Milwaukee area? <sighs> I mean, you got to think it's like a, you know, it's it's suburban. It's like suburban living growing up and the Yeah. The stories that a lot of folks have to tell about the burbs. I mean, we 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 certainly I'm thankful, thankful and I I think about this a lot about about how you grow up and how how it builds humility. Mm-hmm. Right. So you grew up and don't I, I did I want meat? That's sure fine I did, right? Did I eat well? Yes. I you know, there was there was always food and there was always opportunity and the house was always warm and we didn't have to think about that and we had like woods in the backyard and sledding hills and and in the yard and the burbs and um we could trust our neighbors and just walk in their house or knock on the door and um it, we didn't we didn't know the difference between a safe neighborhood and an unsafe neighborhood. We just knew you could do whatever you wanted, basically. And as a dad now, it's like something that I always want to think about in, in terms of instilling humility in my kids is that, the, that there are humans that don't live like you're growing up. My kids, my kids are growing up in the north suburbs of Columbus when, they, when their father grew up in the north suburbs of Milwaukee. It's one Midwestern town to another. <laughs> in a very similar situation and it's like i i hope that you will learn what i feel like i know that that sense of safety in your own home is a luxury absolutely absolutely um it is interesting hearing or seeing kids grow up these days and they they have the luxury of safety that you know i guess we had growing up but we see it Right. And they don't. And it's cool being on like the other side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then then you you live in a bubble and you don't have to, but we chose to. And Mm -hmm. and, um, this is more like fast forward to the present, but it's like there's a vignette from the north suburbs that was like the classic thing for this, that we have some friends, great people, great family, three boys in the family and they they drove to somewhere in Columbus where there was a variety of cars as opposed to just 
a bunch of SUVs and Teslas, right? They, you know, that's that's <laughs> where they drove to. And there was a car with, you know, the, the mom looked over at this one car that was not in that category and asked the kids, hey, do you know what those orange spots are? These circular orange spots on the car? And they're like, those are bullet holes, you know, like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because, because they had never seen rust on an automobile. Wow. Right? Like that. And it, yeah, yeah. So, so clearly that's like a lesson for me where it's like kids get in the car, let's go see some stuff, right? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think I grew up in a similar fashion. Yeah. Right. And, and, um, it, it bears some conversation and some thought and ideally some humility about how you raise your own kids and, and, how uh, you make sure that you make an effort to understand people when you encounter them that don't live like that. Right. It's, it's always interesting seeing, seeing the other side of things that, you know, other people's experiences growing up are not the same as yours. And it's always a cool experience listening to what they have to say and how they grew up. Um, but I mean, living in, you know, up there and then, the northern part of Wisconsin, th- I guess it gets pretty snowy up there. Were you were you like one of those people that hated it? Did you love it? Um, tell me about it. Oh yeah, <laughs> all right. Um, well, you know, there's no mountains, right? So, right. so we this is like a separate podcast and conversation where you and I walk and just talk about snowboarding for like five hours. But well, <laughs> but that wasn't it, right? Not not in not in Milwaukee. There was no you can't. I mean, you're we the the ski hills outside of Milwaukee were garbage piles. Yeah, and so yeah, they just put lights on them at night, like wow. right next to the burbs <laughs> too. Like the backyard of one of our family friends was the ski hill, and it was a, it was a garbage pile that just got really big and then they covered it with dirt and then they put grass on it and then they put lights on it and that's where people skied and so so yeah we can't get into snowboarding but but snow is like the quintessential four months of our life like back when it snowed a lot and and it was it was huge i love it you know people are complaining about winter and it's, it's winter now i mean sort of <laughs> yeah well it's it's it well it's not i was so it's the 21st it's yeah yeah so it's like you know in podcast world it's like it's whatever you're experiencing when you're listening to this right <laughs> right but uh but it's we're, we're close to christmas and so it, it's winterish and yeah. and so yeah it was already you know feet of snow on the ground when i was a kid around this time and you know i'm dreaming of a white christmas well yeah you're gonna get one right, right. and i was nuts i was the youngest of th- three um within our household my my oldest sister is a half sister but there was never anything like not sister about her she still is nicole's my sister right um and andrew's my brother and and um they'd be out playing in the snow and my mom tells this story i think it like it identifies me as a human really well and still is this way with my snowboarding life which is like the you know i was probably 18 months, two years, young, right? Walking, but young. And my brother was then probably four and a half or five or four. And Nicole would have been kindergarten age. And they were out playing in the snow and it was time for me to go to bed. And uh, I don't like going to bed. I still don't, right? Like there's (laughs) stuff to do. There's books to read. There's something. And they were out playing in the snow and our our, our driveway was such that the, the garage was... 
on the side. So if you pushed, if the plow would push the snow off, it would push it to the end of the driveway in this big pile. And the end of the driveway below it, there was a hill. So we're talking like high speed for kids. You know, you climb on top oh, of that yeah. hill, you get on the sled and you can fly, right? And you could pretty much fly until you hit all the trees, which was pretty, you know, it was pretty far for us as kids. And so I'm, you know, my mom's like, hey, you gotta go to bed, right? And my two siblings are out there sledding because they're older. And I was, I was not having it, throwing a fit, you know? <laughs> Um, and, and so my mom being my mom, my dear mother said, you know, experiential learning, like that's the way to learn. Right. So, so I was like probably in a diaper and a shirt or whatever. And she said, all right, go outside, bare feet, right? Nothing on my legs. (laughs) Get out there, go outside. This is as she tells it to me. You don't really make memories at that age, but this is the story as told. Mom, you'll have to verify this as you listen and see if it's true. At least that's how I remember it, you telling me. So so apparently the story goes that I go outside and, and she assumed that I'd be back in screaming at her about how cold it is three to five minutes later because I'm barefoot in the snow. But apparently I stayed out there for an hour and just kept sledding, just kept going, kept going. And uh, and that's still true. I mean, that's still uh, my wife will say, you know, she's a snowboarder and my wife will say, you know, that once I once I get on the chair. And I start going, I'm not stopping till they don't run the chairs anymore. Beyond wow. the point of rational, right? right? Where she's like, I'm done for the day. And I'm like, I love you. I love you dearly. Can I take like five more runs? Like, <laughs> like do you see the chair moving? Do you see the snow falling? Do you see the powder on the ground? I, I need to be there. <laughs> you're very much immersed into the experience that you're having right at that moment. Yeah, in the moment. Because the chairs will eventually stop running. And then all we can do is like sit and eat chili and go to sleep so we can snowboard the next day. <laughs> So yes, you're very much a winter person. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm similar. I'm similar in the in that fact. I love the I love the cold. I'm not a I'm not a yeah. Let's have a 90 degree day, 120 percent humidity. I hate that. Mm. That's mm. the worst. Yeah, like a beach. Beach. It depends on the beach, but usually it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like, what are you guys doing on the beach? Sitting. <laughs> Yeah. How's your book? What are Sorry, you, are you on the beach? <laughs> you just get all hot, sweaty. It's usually not cloudy. Uh, ugh, I hate hey, it. Yeah, right. There's uh, like uh, sunburn. I, I mean, we can agree about this and that, that uh, you know, another step into humanity where it's like, if the beach does it for you, that's awesome. I'm not going to understand it. Yep. Right. Exactly. And, and I've, I have family members that, you can see it in their eyes. I, um, my my, this is my wife's brother's wife. She she loves it every second of it, and she will spend eight hours there, and that's awesome. And I think that's actually a really good life feeling to have. To say, I haven't found a way yet to enjoy the beach. Like I haven't found a way, but it's really important. I think to take a step back and say that gets them going and that's awesome so it's not you know you don't want to be critical of beach people but more so to say i haven't figured that out yet yeah yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. I a little bit about me. I grew up with my parents living close or grandparents, sorry, mm-hmm. living close to the beach in Florida. Okay. And so that's like all I knew when I would vacation. I never got to go out to the mountains or sure. visit any cool places like that. So growing up, I was a beach person and then I discovered the fun higher altitudes and the winters mm. and all that. And I was like, this beach stuff is not for <laughs> me anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, but there's, a th- even when I, when we talk about this and just knowing you as a person too, I could see us both sort of digging into it and being like, if, if it can work for them, Mm-hmm. I bet you we could fig- like we could try to figure it out. Yeah, I or, can sit here and analyze how I yeah. can enjoy it. <laughs> oh yeah, like analysis paralysis. Like get oh, yeah. get get that far into being like, all right, I'm gonna have to be on the beach for four days, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna figure out a way. I mean, hey, I you know I grew up. It's not the same hot hot beach, but I you know I grew up on, on Lake Michigan. Yeah, that's there's sand right there. There's waves. People mm-hmm. surf right there, right? And that's like. It was on the bike. It, this was when the weather was nicer, so it was just no problem. On the bike, it was a mile. And we almost bad. never got down to the water, maybe like twice a summer. We just didn't do it. We just found other things to do. Wow. Interesting. What What were the other things that you guys did? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think like like the, the things you do, uh, you know, like – you you go to the playground and play floors lava with like, oh that was one of my favorite right, games as a kid right like it was the gravel is lava and and the the playground was probably like six blocks away this park Ellsworth Park is the park and who the guy the guy who lived next to Ellsworth Park um, was a guy named David Ellis and he actually showed up at that park a few times David and I ended up going to school together. Um, eventually because i went from a public school to the private school um and he and i went to school together um and david would sometimes pop by the park i remember and i i knew him because he was at the park you know and we ended up switching i ended up switching into his school eventually and and so we'd play like we'd play floors lava at that park and we'd make sure you don't touch the gravel and you know i can i could draw you as long as the playground is the same way from 35 years ago, oh, and there's no way it is, right? <laughs> uh, I could draw you all the, the items of this playground and all the sneaky ways you could get around it. But um, I think at that that's the side, you know, the, the tangent of this conversation is that you, you don't, you, you can never guess. I mean, people, you find people in life and then you find them again. And so um, David and I are 15 days apart in age. And um, didn't we weren't exactly tight growing up, but we saw a lot of each other. And I had I will tell you I had one of the more inspiring meals. You know I had breakfast with him in Las Vegas like a month ago. Like we were both seeing fish, like the rock band fish there, and like oh, so this was planned. Yeah, well I okay. mean it wasn't. It wasn't. It was kind of like it was kind of like it's social media. You kind of know who's there, and you know who's at the concert, and you know who's okay. not, and. Um, and that I like woke up early one morning and texted him. I'm like, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is, the, uh, you know, it's a guy I've known for 35 years, 30 years, something like that. And he's like, I'm sitting wide awake at 6am just like you, right? <laughs> Why are we awake? We don't know. 
and we had breakfast and and um he just had so much to share with me and this is a guy that that was like you know ellsworth park this playground right yeah um that i what i wanted to do in that conversation was to to stop like to say nothing right like i mean basically the role you're playing right now which is like you know <laughs> just just see how much content you can get yeah right I'm, i don't want to dumb down what you're doing man sorry so but that's what i was doing i mean we're sitting there at some vegas breakfast joint right and and he's lived a really cool life right and and on top of cool also has overcome a lot of things and um and i i, I don't even know how long we sat there longer than they would have served us food it was like we took an hour to order and we just just kept talking right <laughs> but the underpinning here that like the the big feel i had in that conversation was all about how the the if you're going to get the most out of something or if you feel, even the person you're with is going to get the most out of it you got to step back and and just listen and accept silence because that's when somebody has a chance to brew a thought and then give you something big and my wife sleeps in really well and so she was with me in vegas and and i i went back to the room and she's like where you been and i was like hanging out with david ellis she's like what <laughs> you know and and i'm like i almost have like i want to tell you 20 things about all the things we talked about um and she's actually the one that's that you know 13 years of marriage in was the one that really taught me that if you're going to really have a meaningful discourse with somebody mm -hmm. you're going to listen more than you talk absolutely absolutely you gotta you gotta really take in what they're what they're saying so i think that's awesome that you're able to connect with an old friend and really just sit down and listen to whatever you had to say yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and again uh i think it'll always come down to humanity like there's like mm -hmm. there's cool nuts and bolts things i learned about like we're talking about like investing and how people do s their business things and and um family and all these things but but he has this grasp on what makes humans tick yeah and like the and he left me with book recommendations that's you know that's one thing like when when someone inspires you i feel like that's the moment where you ask him like what have you been reading mm -hmm. right and who knows if that's what gets them there yeah right but it's like hey let's give me a bibliography man and i'll go home and read those and he did and and i didn't have to ask he had them for me he's like i got these books for you and so that's been my since i saw him that day it's been my reading of of these books to read these are these are the things you should read so i have to ask you the last week you were talking about a psychology book you were reading yeah when we were hanging out is yeah. this one of the books oh cameron this is perfect yeah this so this is one of them um, uh, I really want to read this book. I was going to ask, I was actually going to text you like two days ago. I should have brought and I it. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot to ask you. So it's fine. Yeah. I should have brought it. Um, yeah. But another thing here about books is that the, when you finish with a book, you're not going to read it again. Right. I, that's my style. I'm not going to yeah. read it again. So find someone to give it to. Right. Okay. You can hold on to it and look at it, but I should have brought it to you. And it's, you know, I, I think I promised it to another mutual friend of ours. That's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to put his name on here, so I have to give it to him. Okay. It's Eric. <laughs> it's our friend Eric. Okay. Yeah. I will happily purchase this book because I'm very interested. But yeah. can you give us like a top level 
<laughs> of what it's about <laughs> just because we're talking about yeah. it. I just want you to say well, a no, little it, bit about it. it. it it's, a no, it's a negotiation book. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, as long as that's the one we were talking about. Um, and I'm, the title, I'm, I'm trying to figure out that I can, I can like paraphrase the title, but I was like, you know, open it, read it quick kind of thing. Yeah. Um, never meet in the middle or something like that. Um, never... Uh, never meet halfway or um, yeah i i think i've heard of this book before i you're paraphrasing paraphrasing it correctly i don't remember the exact title it's like the it's like the one where it's like if getting to yes there's yeah. a book getting if getting to yes just doesn't make you feel right maybe this is the one you should read and the author like takes getting to yes and just throws it under the bus where it's like <laughs> you know, it's not the way to go and um and the reason why he recommended it was not because I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a physician. So like, it's not negotiation as a physician. Uh, yeah. And actually in, in, in 2021, 2022 medicine, my feeling about it is that, that it's, it's far from negotiation. It's more so, um, it's all about letting people know what choices they have and empowering people to access the healthcare system and access their own bodies. Again, comes back to listening, right? <laughs> where it's like, where it's like, I think a patient can basically tell you everything they want mm-hmm. if you listen to them. And then the, you know, the whole concept of quote medical decision-making unquote, which is a phrase in medicine where it's like, actually, you know, you can't make it on your own. If the, you know, like the physician makes a decision and it's like, nah, nah, you know, like, I don't, I don't think so. You know, the physician makes the recommendation because the patient has to follow through. Right. Right. And so it's not like I do any negotiating ever, but the, the whole thing is that you do it on a daily basis, you know, where it's like kids time to come upstairs and eat lunch. And the kids are like, no, we're not doing this. And, and it's like, you end up getting into negotiations of like, well, maybe you'll lose this opportunity to have five gummy <laughs> bears or whatever, whatever the, the battle you have with your, with your children or your spouse or your, I mean, when all the little battles you have, um, it gets into the psychology of what humans want mm-hmm. when you do that. And that's why, you know, we were, we were talking about family, uh, when he recommended the book. Okay. What, how did that, do you remember how this all came about or, uh, know? I still remember the mediocre bowl of oatmeal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, just so interested on how family, uh, the topic of family and discussing that came to this book recommendation. No, David, you're going to be listening to this. So you might have to correct me later if I get this wrong, <laughs> because it was, it was like a pleasantly circuitous conversation. I would yeah. say. Like we came back to stuff and um, so there were little points we got to. There was some some more like professional type talk. Um, but there was also things about like time, you know, so he's he's in Las Vegas for concerts. He for fish, the band fish. Right. And his wife doesn't love fish the way my wife loves fish. And so there's a bit of a negotiation of time, just like every other marriage, a negotiation of time to say. I need this because it's fruitful for me. Mm-hmm. Right. But the, what the book would say is you've already gone too far by saying what you need because your first step is to figure out what the true needs are of the other person. All right. So I just said, Hey Cameron, I need, I need to go to fifty these three, four fish concerts in Las Vegas for Halloween. 
because I need that recharge or whatever it is. Yeah. And and what the, what what the book would suggest is, at least as one of the big takes I got from it is is. If you want to ask for that, identify the values of the other person in the conversation first, because he had to ask his wife or talk to his wife about it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I remember of it. And again, like, David, you're going to have to correct me because we might have just been talking about haggling for money. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> right. I just I just don't know. I mean, if you made it up on the spot here, you did a great job because it makes sense to me. Hmm. <laughs> And it's a daily thing. I mean, hey, it's like I really was excited about this podcast. Yeah. And it's also, what, five days before Christmas? Ish? Uh, seven, right? I don't know. I can't do math. Yeah. I we're close. We, <laughs> we're <laughs> close enough. We're close. We're both Jewish <laughs> and, and we're both Jewish and we're trying to figure it out. And, and we've talked earlier that like Christmas is not a high on our list for either of us. Right. But I live in a household where it's like Christmas. Right. And so it was a conversation about, I mean, you've met my wife and she likes you. So that helps. Right. Katie's a very nice lady. <laughs> right. <laughs> helps a lot, but she's the queen bee of the household. And, yeah. Uh, and I don't remember the conversation about it, but it was something like, Hey, and, and she likes you. So it's, you know, it's like, um, this is an opportunity and it's like, Hey, what, how should I time this? Right. I think in retrospect, I didn't do a very good job at it. And that, it was just kind of like, hey, I got to do this. When should I do it? And and the book would have said, you know, get in touch with their feelings first. And so that's part of it. It's like you can read all the books you want to help change your behavior, but you actually have to, like, get out of your own habits. Right. You have to get out of your own way. You have yeah. to You have to make a decision. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, hey, uh, you're here now. It's great so far. I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, having a good time. Yeah, uh, it, I do want to mention it took about two months for us to get this hammered down. <laughs> uh -huh. Is that a lot or a little? Uh, most everyone has come on within a week or two of asking. <laughs> but you're a busy guy. You're a busy guy. You've got all kinds of things going on. Oh, hey, let's talk about busy. I want to. I want to. I want to specifically identify that word and label that term. Okay. Busy. Okay. Yeah. Um, because it, and it comes up in medicine too. Hey doc, okay. I know you're busy, but do you have time to have this conversation? And it's like, I, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Um, you get 24 hours, right? In a day. Yep. And seven we all days have a week. 24 hours. And I get 24 hours in a day and seven days a week. And what you choose to do with your time is what you choose to do with your time. And that is your choices and those are your values. And it, it, it's a luxury to be able to choose that. I get it. Uh, but but it, it comes down to your choices. And so I think to validate that if you're going to say, I'm too busy to do something, I think the message that you're sending in most cases, most cases, sometimes you know, unforeseen circumstances, but if you're always too busy to do something, I think the message sometimes more so is I haven't made this a priority in my own life. Or I'm I've, glad you said that. 
because I was going to say what I hear when someone says I'm too busy is I have other priorities. Yeah. And you are not one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I won't ever validate, like you just said it. And I was like, it kind of gave me that, like the, you know, the podcast world can't see the look you got on my face, which is like, nope, nope, nope. Like <laughs> I don't, I, I, especially in friendships, like how, how mm-hmm. much you value a healthy friendship. And, and as, as I get older, how much I, how much more I value healthy friendships. It's like, I really don't want to be too busy for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic life lesson for, for most people. Whenever someone says I'm busy or I'm too busy, it's not a priority is what they're saying. Yes. Yes. But it also still took me two months and which is longer than other folks. And so it's a, it's a humility lesson for me to say, are you packing your schedule so much? Leisure or not, right? Are you packing right. your schedule so much that you can't do the things like this that seem so real and so valuable? That's an interesting take on it. See, I feel talking about this right now, you're beating yourself up more about it than I have any sort of emotion towards it of you know, taking two months to get here. Yeah, it's mine. I'll take yeah. it. Yeah, because uh, I don't know. This is two months, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's happening. <laughs> You're like, damn it! It took me two months. Well, no, it's mine. It's like it's it's a growth thing for me. Yeah, I think, and and I think it's me as it, this is how I work as a person, or at least how historically I have. Mm-hmm. Is that for for me to change, to to make a a, a conscious change. I got to get out of my own way first. Yeah. Right. And part of that is like verbalizing things you're doing wrong to people you care about. Right. Or Mm. things that you think you can improve. Because the thing is in six months, I can imagine you coming back to me and be like, Hey, remember we talked about busy. Remember when it took you two months to get on the podcast? (laughs) I don't care, but is your life different? Yeah. Right. Like I'm almost like leaving that with you. Mm hmm. Um, so like a fun fact for you and anyone listening at this point in time in my life, I'm, I listen to these recordings. I'm here, you know, in person doing this. And then I'm listening to these recordings about three or four times. And after I go through them, I will text whoever I just listened to. And I'll be like, did you remember when we talked about this? Well, I have also X, Y, Z to say about it. And like, I'll just try to continue conversation about it. And they'll half the time they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but <laughs> I, oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm still coming back to it and just chit chatting. Yeah. I'm like, bring it on. Like you got something that's like emotionally dense and, yeah. and even potentially able to yield some conflict. And I'm like, Oh yeah, let's <laughs> go there. But you can't text me with it. Right. Right. It's got to be in person. Like for, for example, on, on the lighter note, non-emotional, uh, it was more of, um, one, one thing recently, I, I haven't listened to the first podcast for a while, the financial advisor, but I actually got the opportunity from someone like inviting me on a cruise to Croatia (gasps) 
and I texted him. I sent him the link. I was like, hey, someone invited me on this cruise. I'm going to go try to find your Apple Watch. And he said in the podcast when we had it uh, back in September, like, I dropped my I dropped my watch in the Adriatic Sea. Okay. So I just randomly brought it up four or five months later. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 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 And if you're close with people, you can do that. And then yeah. even if they have to retrace the steps, text gives them a little time to think. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but then that'll, that'll differentiate by, by different generations where it's like, mm-hmm. uh, boomers are going to call every time. And oh yeah. Gen X is going to call a little bit when they make sure to cover something. And then, the messages I'm receiving from my the many millennials that I get to hang out with, I you guys, I'm I'm talking about like I'm two months off the cusp. I'm like two months into Gen <laughs> X, right? But you're but, very much on that line of Gen X and millennial. Right? I you know your, I'm 59 days away from from official like millennial, and my friend David Ellis is 45 days away. Like we're that close, <laughs> right? I'm, I did the math on the fly there, but I think I got it, Dave. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, it, 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 you, I feel like it's okay to communicate within certain people's modes. Like texting is, uh, there's memes on Facebook about it, like millennial memes, which are like, yeah, I text out of respect because when you call somebody, you're forcing them to talk to you mm-hmm. and when you text them, you give them time. And like my mind exploded where I was like, you are? Can't they just not answer? <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I, I have to like work to get it, right? And like if you call someone and they don't answer, it's like, oh, are you too busy to answer my call? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a, a running <laughs> joke with our mutual friend Eric. <laughs> that 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 thing exactly because we we talk a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you were talking about millennials, and you said you have a cool hot take about how millennials are coming up and i really want to yeah i want to dig into this one oh yeah wait so so while i'm doing this though uh, we can we should make ground rules right yeah boundaries uh no no i'm sorry that's a bit <laughs> <laughs> um yeah safe words right yeah sorry i, sh- I no all right no millennial jokes when i talk about this um so yeah so I, with the context that i'm sitting across from somebody from that generation and that you think about impact in life, right? And like what impact you want to have on other people. And it's something I think about like every day of my life about impact. And there's yeah. like, how am I going to impact people today? Or what's my impact going to be on individuals? And the learning process for me is, is that each human interaction, even like the grocery store passes, that those matter. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And whether we get back to it today or not, like, you know, the one time I ran into somebody in Cambodia where maybe I didn't make the best decisions and you think you'd never see them again because Cambodia, right? Um, but I did. Um, yeah, we could, uh, in the most <laughs> inopportune places, but it's like you, every human impact has matters, right? So I started thinking, you know, right, what's my impact as a physician? And it's like, you, I go to work, you know, eight, 10 hours a day and, you want to be present and humane in every room and have somebody, I mean, the goal is for people to live better. Right. And so that's, that was my, this is why I went into medicine thing where it's like, Hey, if I could 
help people live a better life. That feels amazing, right? And and so in, in my early career, it was like, all right, if I can help like X thousand people per year live a better life, that's cool. But if I worked like three hours more per day, I could help another thousand people. And And I was like, Oh, well, let me try that. Like, it was just like, well, you know, what limits do I set? Because in, in medicine, it's like, hey, you work more? You want to work more? You work more. All right, go for it. Um, and, and but the, the, the um, I don't know if the ends were justifying the means. It was like, there's an upper limit of how much you should work. Yeah. Like, you should see your kids at dinner. That's my opinion on it. Like, Absolutely. You, know, you should see your kids at dinner. And... And so I was thinking about impact and it's like, all right, there is an upper limit that a physician can impact people in clinical visits, in inpatient, outpatient, whatever you do for your patients. There's an upper limit that you can directly impact people. And I hit it. And so, yeah, I will get to millennials, man. It's just, it's the circuitous way to get there. Um, There's a lot of background to it. But you got to get there. So, so. I realized it's always been great to teach. And I'm so I get to teach uh, the residents from from our program at Ohio State that come over to our hospital and get free for their residency four months with them out of their three years, which is awesome. Um, And our fellows in our department and medical students and even people that are pre-med that want some exposure like that is incredibly redeeming for me on a daily basis to have people like that around that are just sponges. Right. Just like they're like, ah, I want to learn. And and when I boil it down, you realize like. There's the direct impact on the human, like they had a good educational experience, they felt like they worked with somebody that really wanted to know what they wanted to know and under, tried to understand them as humans, like the learners. Right. So the role as an educator is awesome. And then as I moved on in my career, this I came to this realization that that if you put tools in the hands of trainees, if you empower trainees to being, you know, medical students, residents, people at different phases of things, and you give them something that they can take into their career and share with their patients and improve quality of life of their patients beyond what they already knew, you're having this exponential impact. And if you can teach a concept that then they go on and teach, then it's like massive exponential impact. And then the, the, then you realize that you're not capped anymore, that there's not like that upper limit of what you can teach people. So then we get to the millennials thing, right? And so I'm thinking, wow, it all of a sudden changed the way I measure myself or my impact on humans is all of a sudden it's, I love what I do clinically, but it's really on the educational side, being an impactful teacher physician teacher and who are my students they're all millennials (laughs) all of them right and what are people doing about millennials these days what are boomers and gen xers doing about millennials these days complaining they're complaining right and so i'm like all right i'm about to have my goal is to have a really big impact on this set of people i don't want to complain about them i mean they're humans they came up in a certain way i want to get them like, I want to get it, right? Because, and I, I wasn't thinking about the fact that, that as I get old and ill, they're going to be taking care of me, which is, by the way, true. 
but but the bigger thing of of it's not like they don't have huge skills i just don't think we get them right and luckily there's this big set of literature about millennials there's a people are writing a lot about it and how to teach millennials and what they want as a generation now understand that there's all individuals that don't have to act like that but the overall scope of things is you can't teach a person from this generation like we've taught historically and you can't interact with them that way because they didn't grow up with that and so if you read the body of literature it's like this generation of people have found a way to use the system to such a good ability right to be like i know what i want and that's what i want and i want to get it and that's my approach there if you're going to get in the way you can but this may not work out when historically like a lot of previous generations it was all right, this is how you make your way through med school. Make sure you impress your attendings. Make sure you keep people happy, right? And it was there wasn't a lot of individuality there. And so I think the learning thing was, uh, you know, when you're teaching somebody, they don't want you just to talk to them. Like what we're, you know, the endless stream of words I'm providing right now. <laughs> that is not how this generation is learning. And they will make that clear. You look at like subjective studies about that, like where they just tell you how they learn. They're like, oh boy, I'm sick of being lectured. Like I, and and, the, and then what they were doing a decade ago or so is recording the lectures that people were giving, taking the PowerPoints, speeding their voices up to two times whatever it was, and blowing through that one hour of content in 10 to 15 minutes or whatever it is, just flying through it and and so it, you can go complain about this generation and i'm like they just went and did things four times faster than we did right <laughs> and so so the more i've read about it and the more i've learned about like the generation your generation of millennials is if you can figure out and there's a way to figure it out if you can figure out what makes these people tick they are more powerful than any generation prior in terms of mental power in terms of the fact that they've got the internet and they know how to use it better than we do right um and you know even i say the internet and you're scoffing where you're like the internet it's not just the internet right? like, <laughs> i didn't right yeah. <laughs> but but you know what i mean right it's like the uh, i can i have to be humble enough to say that i don't even understand you know that the powers of tech i you know i would be asking you about it i'm at that point in my life right and so so it takes a point to stop and say okay i'm not the expert here i'm not the expert educator if i have a new learner all of them are millennials at this point there's every once in a while there's an older learner but not really right stop pause humble yourself look them in the eye it doesn't take long and say hey how do you learn well right because classically it would be me asking you tons of medical questions and you tell me what you know and then me telling you what you need to go study that's how medicine worked for years yep and and then i'm like all right here's a multiple choice question how do you learn well do you learn well by teaching others do you learn well by reading on your own do you learn well by me asking you questions probably not right <laughs> you probably but but if you do cool i can do that um do you learn well by drawing pictures um i have a resident this weekend 
that is going to do a, some sort of media thing and we don't know what it's going to be yet but it's you know how do you learn the sensory anatomy of the legs right and i'm like hey dude do the modality that's best for you and come back and teach it to me and me and a group of people right because yeah. he's like i gotta learn this like i gotta know it now and i'm like all right make a tiktok or like draw it on your leg and take pictures or or make a model or whatever you think is going to make this stick so well that you don't have to reread it five times in a book right and then come teach it to us and my hope is that that tool like you use this group's modality that that's going to create lasting education and maybe something that gets taught is something that they then teach further and you think about your impact and so i'm going to encourage everybody listening here to read a little bit about millennials and the, the generation and and I, I, what i would suggest by far more than likely what you're going to find out there in podcast land is that they when you empower this generation they do so so much and and while you can complain all you want the reason why you're complaining is because you don't get them and if you work to get them you don't have a lot to complain about that is that is very true sitting here as a millennial <laughs> i was i was thinking uh if anyone is disagreeing with you i challenge them to sit here for one week and watch me as a fly on the wall yeah because <laughs> it's it's not easy doing what i do for 40 hours a week <laughs> right yeah you told me about it yeah you yeah. told me about like and, the, and the i even and... i i call this work as well it's it's more fun work but this is still work that i do on top of my other work right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah <laughs> it it's so cool seeing how people learn it's the learning how to learn is a fun thing right and it's it's figuring it out for yourself and we have you know the old archaic way of you know schools and you know just being talked to about whatever subject and then taking a test and then you know i I do agree with you. The millennial the millennial generation is changing that, right? And it's just fascinating watching it unfold and hoping that, for me, hoping that the younger people are, you know, doing the same thing and they're actually getting these new learning techniques, um, like, indoctrinated in them. Yeah. Right? Because I was still on that end of listening to a lecture and taking a test and mm -hmm. writing the paper and it sucked mm -hmm. didn't work yeah it sucked i hated it i hated yeah. school yeah i was not exactly a good student because i didn't learn that way <laughs> but you learned you learned enough to be where you are right 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 and <laughs> and, and maybe it's like you know maybe the content who knows if it's stuck or not yeah but I, and this is, you know, another hour we could talk about the value of hardship. And oh, there's yes. another book about it, right? Like about, about allowing people to fail. Again, I'm going to paraphrase the title of it. I'm reading, I just started it, but it's like that whole thing about like the gift of failure where it's like, yes, hardship, like school was hard. School didn't work, but you got a good thing going, man. Right. Mm -hmm. And so did that hardship get you to a place where you are, where it's like, yeah, you know what you want to do and you're spending four hours, 40 hours a week doing what you want to be doing. Right. 
mostly. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, is there any like resources you would recommend for people to read about millennials? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to flip the question on you. Oh boy. <laughs> so you're a millennial, right? Yes. And you can find information and useful interma- information faster and better than a Gen Xer can. Right. Yep. Okay. So, so where, what would you do? What would I do? Yeah. Uh, I would actually go straight to Google and just say like millennial book or a millennial research paper or a millennial yeah. white paper, like yeah. scholarly article about yes. millennials, like yes. things like that. Yes. I'm glad I flipped the table on you. I went to Google scholar, like scholar.google.com. That's Google scholar is a fantastic Love resource. It, right. Uh, so we, yeah, we did the same thing. But it's, it's it's a situation where it's like you will probably find that content. You'll find better content than I will, and you'll find it faster, and you'll find more <laughs> meaningful content, and you will pour f- pour through it in a high yield way faster than I will. It's fair enough. Yeah, and <laughs> and and for this this get this is like the moment for gratitude, and that I can be thankful that that the future generation of the world right now can do that. Um, so efficiently and I really believe in I believe in millennials I don't have to right it would be so much easier to complain oh it's so much easier to complain but I don't I don't feel that way can I tell you uh, one thing I just want to like do one thing that I can brag about today bring it on (laughs) I don't usually brag about things but I will brag about this bring it on I took the first hour of my day uh, after I got out of bed and made coffee and I learned about like NFTs, right? The whole, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of news about it. And I, you know, I'm kind of a computer person and I didn't know shit about NFTs yeah, until yeah. today. I knew that there was a couple of, you know, fun facts about them. Uh, but this morning I took one hour and I was like, all right, cool. I know enough about nfts to get me by if i really wanted to be serious about it i could spend another five hours and do it and then i could really get into that hobby in that space mm-hmm. but eh, hours all i need yeah that's awesome <laughs> like a devotion to learning yeah because you felt and there was there was no necessity there right no there, i have no reason to really purchase an nft yeah but when somebody asks you if you want one now where it's like hey this limited edition video of lebron james dunking can be purchased (laughs) you can make a decision that's educated about whether or not you feel like you need to own a limited edition video of lebron james dunking that only exists in digital form oh yeah and then then i have the rebuttal questions of well how many of these nfts exist or Mm -hmm. when is it minted and how much are people willing to pay for it right now and all that and what is the value of ownership of anything? Whoa. I know. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> that like we've gone beyond material ownership. Things yeah. don't take up space. Right. And that's really cool actually because it's kind of annoying to have a lot of stuff in my opinion. I'm I'm excited for the transformation of to 
like the real world to be like ready player one <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen the movie or read the book yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah <laughs> you're ready for it i and i um also a uh not popular it's 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 an opinion that i have that people are like never thought about it about um up in the, the burbs where we live and everybody's playing video games right and and you don't buy the game anymore you buy content in the game or you buy a skin it's mm-hmm. like it's like all right so wait, you're you're gonna spend like ten dollars on a suit that your person with a gun wears but the the suit doesn't help you perform in any way you just yeah. look at it and other people see you wearing it and so it's like it's like going to a store at the mall and buying more clothes right yeah except you don't own it really it's in the screen you can't take it out of the screen and it's like from a very rational standpoint it's like it's useless right but from the standpoint of a parent if my kids have 10 bucks to spend and the ten dollars they spend doesn't fill our house with more stuff it's the best ten dollars i can imagine because what did what did you buy what have you bought in your first 12 years of life that still has any value to you is there anything I don't think so. Right. So I, you, there's nothing I can think of. You're going to mass junk that has temporary value. and It's going to be gone. And it's going to be junk and landfill or wherever it ends up. Like yep. very little that you buy with your own money. Like, you know, the teddy bear was probably bought by your parents. The one that has the value, right? Right. Or the, so everything that you purchase until you're a certain age is just junk. Mm-hmm. Right. And I can only imagine if you're going to, do all that purchasing anyway and you're going to get that dopamine rush from buying something that how awesome would it be if it didn't have to take up space and never had to get thrown away and got played with just like anything else and had just about the same amount of not so much value and it was just kind of there inside a box and a screen in the internet world yeah and then you take that and you extrapolate that into the adult world of <laughs> buying stuff that really doesn't make you uh, this is an opinion here, but doesn't really make things better. And it's like, all right, that's where NFTs make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like if you're going to buy stuff and it doesn't take up space and it gives you that little bit of value there, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I um, I actually heard this really cool, like explain it to me like I'm five explanation of NFTs where – so you saw I have a I have a poster of Starry Night in my living room. Yes. So buying an NFT is like actually purchasing the real Starry Night, but digital. Mm-hmm. And you know, anyone can just come and screenshot your NFT. That screenshot of the NFT is the poster of Starry Night that I have. Mm-hmm. I don't have the real one. I just have a copy and it doesn't show that I own it. Mm-hmm right whoever owns it moma or whoever owns starry night right yeah that's the easy explanation like i'm five of nfts yeah and i should probably clarify for audience non-fungible tokens yeah right right (laughs) yeah and then you gotta type that in the google box just to get like a start yeah 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 uh so i found that to be a really cool easy explanation of nfts and i still barely understand it that's about the most understanding of yeah why i would buy an nft is i don't have to have it taking up space yeah yeah hey 
Um, can I can I change direction? Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to make sure you completed your thought though about that. Yeah, okay. I'm good. Because I, I it got me thinking about somebody. All right, let's hear it. And and man, if this ends up being all about influential people in my life and not about my life, that's a win, right? <laughs> uh, and so so my first introduction to NFTs is this guy named Ross. He lives out in Seattle, but he was out in Portland because I was out in Portland. I went out, I, I went to visit my friend Trevor out in Portland um, about a year and a half ago. Never heard of the term NFT at that point. And um, I will tell you, it's such a strange thing. I, um, I'm really thankful for friendships, right? Really, and I think it's really important. I think it's important to tell your friends, and I'll tell you this right now. Like, I'm thankful for your friendship, like a real friendship where we talk about real things and care for each other. Um, but I, I've also had rocky friendships, and I've had periods in my life where I haven't had a lot of friendships, and I felt like I can't, I don't have a lot of people to rely on or people to lean into. Um, but Ross and Trevor are are part of now a set of like a lot of people as I start naming them. And pardon me if I leave anybody out, but of these men that are all over six foot two, they're all tall and they're all charming. Right. And they go into a room and they just light it up and they're like in a good way. Like they don't necessarily draw a lot of attention, but if if somebody comes near them, they're going to, their charm is going to win this and they're all a little weird, but it's like the weird charm. Right. Um, and so like, I'm thinking about there's like Ross in Seattle and there's, as I go through the map and there's Trevor in Portland and then we go over to Colorado, there's my buddy Levi and he can do that. Right. Get down to new Orleans and Ryan is down into new Orleans and, uh, I'm going to leave a few people out and I love you guys. Um, but, but there's more, right. And Ross is the one that introduced me to NFTs because he would, because it's like one of these characteristics and, and, um, the these these uh, almost all of you guys um out there that are these charming tall men right <laughs> um almost have such a high level of creativity there's a certain subset of person that like we don't even talk that often right right so ross ross i was like hey ross i'm gonna be in portland i haven't talked to you in six months but when we talk it's like an hour of greatness you know uh, and he's like, I'll be there, you know? Yes. Right. Um, and, and there was nothing to swim through. I hadn't seen the guy in like three or four years, probably, or five, uh, who knows how long. Um, and we went probably within five minutes from, Hey, how are you? Nice. Give me a big hug. Introduce me to your girlfriend that I've never met to a deep conversation about non-fungible tokens. Right. Um, and I, I want to point out if, you know, I feel like a lot of this podcast as I've listened to it is about humanity. Is about like the human condition. Yes. And and I, I it got me thinking non fungible tokens and that long conversation that Trevor and Ross and Ross's girlfriend, which I Oh, you're so cool too. <laughs> and I'm so bad with names. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's not it, yeah. She's oh, you're great. Um and I'm sorry about the name thing because it's just not coming right now. But bright, shiny eyes, great person. Um, <laughs> the, the, I think the really exciting part about 
Ross and, and this set of people is is the ability to tap into humanity quickly, right? And and to have the strange conversations right away, right? And like almost drop so much humane content. Like NFTs themselves, I understand they aren't humane, but we went quickly from a definition to NFTs to how you and I got into it of like, what does an NFT mean to a human, right? And what does it mean to you emotionally? And what is the 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 true value to a human like it got right there and um i wanted to point out my thanks for or like what my gratitude for for people like that that can just dig right in and uh, my also uh, clearly my my magnetism to that a deeper conversation for maybe another day would be how do i bring those people in right like do i do that i don't know i'm not sure if i do <laughs> I uh I can I can feel that similar way with uh another buddy who came in uh for an episode that uh we hadn't talked in like eight months and we're like the best of friends. We hadn't talked in like eight months mm-hmm. and sends me a message, Hey man, can I come and do a podcast episode? Absolutely, come on down. And um he walks through the door in my house and it's like nothing there nothing happened there is no break right we just hey how's it going deep conversation Mm -hmm. and just catching up and all that and it's those are the oh those are the best friendships (laughs) yeah 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 it's like public service announcement if if you're feeling empty or even if you're not and you know those people are out there, have you texted them recently? Yeah. Or have you called them depending on your generation? Are you, yeah. you know, have you reached out to them because because they're gonna give you something right away, like those humans. And as I think about it, I'm like, I got a call today that I have not yet called back from, from a certain Ryan in, in Brooklyn. Um, that's like, oh yeah, like right away. You know, yep. we have years that separate us and we don't talk but like right away i'm like i can't wait for that big big burst of humanity conversation mm-hmm. yeah yeah i you nailed it those are those are the best mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. is there anything that you wanted to mention about this anymore because i was i'm also gonna change the direction do it man do it okay. no that's great um so i wanted to uh bring it into like how you came from the outside of Milwaukee to um, go through school and decide to be a physician. Oh, great. Yeah. How did, how did that happen? Good question. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah. Who was it? Another lesson in one of these books was like, before you talk, stop and think and then talk and the silence that you provide is really never noticed as much as you think it is all right hold on count to five in my head ready go all right and now now this is more well thought out because i've always struggled to answer this question my father's my father is now retired but uh pediatrician his father, pediatrician, right? 
and me, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I do work at a children's hospital. I, now that we're this far into the podcast and I haven't said anything that's like incriminating, then I can be like, yeah, I work at the children's hospital here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is okay for public consumption. Not that I have a lot of incriminating to say, but still you no. think about it. Right. No. Um, and then I, I, I take care of children and it's, it's awesome. Um, so I grew up watching my father do have impact and and hearing him talk about his own father and hearing people talk. I never met my grandfather on that side, um, Sam. Never met him, but his impact was huge. And Nathan Samuel, that's me, right? That's that's uh that's my grandfather in the middle name right there. Jewish tradition is you don't name somebody until the person's passed. You don't pass that name on. So he had passed by the time I was born. And and so he 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 was a big name, right? Him and his 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 wife Molly, who Grandma Molly, uh, any any Rosenberg, I just gave out my last name. There we go, and that's okay too. Um, who hears this? And I say Grandma Molly, or I say Molly Rosenberg. Everybody just melts, right? Like the matriarch of all things in our family. And um, and so there was this legacy that was there, and there was my father as the second generation of that. And I think I realized really early that his daily work was incredibly rewarding to him. When you often hear the word rewarding, you think about money. And I'm going to be honest, I thought about money. Wasn't the biggest thing, though. Like this, the other part was that I realized that it 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 it. it it gave him value and um and that he was a lot he had an opportunity to positively impact people's lives on a daily basis and and he was a pediatrician in the the north suburbs of milwaukee he worked where we lived and so he was taking care of my friends he was taking care of my you know kids in the neighborhood like you know he was and and i watched him positively impact people and so that always felt like something that I felt like I, 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 that, that, that would make me feel good inside. So that was important. And then the other part, quite honestly, that, that was important to me was I knew from an early age that I didn't want to have to like worry about not having resources. And you don't have to be rich. You don't have to get rich to do it. And anybody that chooses to work in anything pediatric realizes that if you do that, you're not directly chasing money because it's pediatric anything, right? That's uh, not it's not that, but um, physicians in the United States are able to take care of their families, send their kids to college, eat nice cheese, <laughs> and not think twice. Whatever you know, whatever I'm being honest about it, right? And then I watched, you know, I watched him be able to um, have really expensive canoes because that's what my dad had, right? Like. And I'll be honest, like that, that had to at least factor into it, but it was, it was a lot lower. It was a lot, it was like, you know, that's a prerequisite for a job I want to do is I want to be able to be financially comfortable, but there's all kinds of jobs you could do. I mean, you could do science research stuff and you could do, you could be a lawyer, you could be a workman's comp lawyer, you could be anything, right? Um, and have it meet that criteria. But the bigger thing is that, that I wanted to go into work every day, excited to go in there. And I wanted to leave every day every day, every day and feel like I had a positive impact or at least I built towards a positive impact for the next day. And 
I, I know there are physicians that can't say that every day. And, but I'll also say if anybody's ever thinking about going into the field that I'm specifically in, like the sub sub specialty in pediatrics, that I, this is real every day. I'm excited to go in there. Every single one at the hospital I work at for the last eight and a half years. Um, and I feel like I, I knew I saw that coming, right? So that decision was made at a really young age and it was just, hey, I'm gonna go to college in order to get myself to the next step, which is medical school and ideally learn a lot of other things besides medicine on the way there. So that's a fantastic take on why you uh, chose that that career path. And I think that's so cool. Um, but is, can you, can you walk me th- or walk us through um, your, I guess the steps that you took through school to get to where you are. How was it going through like med school and um, I don't know what you did to get a bachelor's, but pre-med or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was at one of those high schools where take a bunch of AP classes and I've learned this isn't true anymore, but it was true that you could just come in with real college credits that counted in college. Apparently that's not so doable anymore. Like with the, my nephews that are graduating high school are like your AP credits don't count anymore. Apparently, right? So don't don't even take the AP classes; they don't count. Um, but also, I I I was at Milwaukee Jewish Day School for a period of time, uh, learned Hebrew, and then went to such a Jewish high school. It was public high school, right? <laughs> Nicolay High School, but such a thick density of Jews that they offered Hebrew. And so there was that, but there's only so much you could do at a high school level. A lot of us left Milwaukee Jewish Day School pretty close to fluent in Hebrew. So then we went off to college while we were in high school and took Hebrew. And I I, I came in college very goal-directed. Like goal number one academically is get yourself into medical school. And then the other part was like have some fun, right? And so I was lucky to come in with a lot of credits. And then I looked and I said, okay, which major can I do? that gets me all the med- the pre-medicine prerequisites and I ideally doesn't take that many more credits or classes taken so I can learn some other stuff right like I the pre-med stuff I just got to get it done and ideally get good grades in it and so you can you can take some classes that you enjoy well and you have to like yeah I mean I guess you don't have to but it's like you're going to take some humanities and um there was almost no Hebrew left but you know what I don't think I I don't even think I took any in Madison I just took it when I was in high school, but it, you, it was like college credits coming in. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, I, there was like the core stuff I had to do is always three classes at a, for a semester. It was like core sciencey stuff to get to a molecular biology major. And then people are like, what's molecular biology? And I'm like, I, I think it's what it is. Like, as they're saying, it's like molecules and biology, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I'm not going to be a molecular biologist. I'm going to meet the exact criteria for this major. And then there's going to be all these other requirements, right? So, so it's like you can fulfill humanities credits by taking music classes, right? And I was like, all right, cool. Like I, I just wanted to fill all the little boxes, and then you know, what's the what's the best way to optimize the situation, right? Learn the science, and I did, right? But it's like, what are you going to do? Oh, there's a class you can take four times, and it counts towards this credit that I need to fill anyway. That's called black music. 
Right. What is is that? It's African American music. Okay. Right. So it's taught by Richard Davis. And Richard Davis, um, more bibli- bibliography information. Um, go back and look at a bunch of Eric Dolphy's jazz albums, and Richard Davis is the is the basis on there. But that's not what you've probably heard the most out there in podcast land. You've probably heard Van Morrison's Astral Weeks. I know Van Morrison. Yeah, right. And Astral Weeks is the album you'll probably know the best, and that basis is Richard Davis. And as, okay. as I understand that album, the music was recorded first. And then Van Morrison wrote all the words. Interesting. So you go back to Astral Weeks and and think about it that way, and all of a sudden your mind explodes when you listen to that album. You shut off Van Morrison's voice and you listen to the music back there, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so good. Now, how did Richard Davis get to University of Wisconsin? I don't know. I'm not sure. He came in as a professor. I'm not sure he made his way up the ranks. He probably didn't. But did you he bas- walk, did he walk sorry did he walk around campus as like a he celebrity was, uh the big shot everybody knew who he was you know when yeah he, definitely yeah like if he ever played sh- like shows like on the academic side and like the music department like he just kind of went and it was like he get to see richard play yeah but getting into his class required waking up at 5 30 a.m and calling him on a certain day and he asked you some questions that were always difficult right and you had to, in retrospect, I realized you had to answer with humility. He wanted humans in his class. He didn't want people just fulfilling credits. Because when you get in that class, we all just sat in a theater and he had assigned seats for us, one seat apart from everybody else. So you couldn't really reach over and talk to anybody else. And But there was still some conversation in the class. It was probably 50 people in there. And... He had lessons to teach every day. Uh, there was no curriculum. There was no syllabus. There was one day that our one of our exams was his birthday, and he's like, you're not taking it. You're all getting an A. Like That's how this class went. <laughs> but this, this underscores the value of, of an education because of, of like college education is if you can find those pearls in your college education. I learned so much from the stuff that his mannerisms, his behaviors, his expectations of humans, right? The things that pissed him off. And boy, like I knew what pissed him off and I wasn't going to do it. Like Richard Davis doesn't remember me and that's good, right? Like, and I, 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 uh, you know, I didn't, you know, you'd have to piss him off for him to remember you because he gets through a lot of students. But four semesters of that, you got, you, there was always listening homework. You always had to listen to something and come back in with it. He expected that you get it when you come back right so so what was do you remember any of those sort of assignments like hey listen to this album and then that's your homework and then what do you do when you get the class like say i was scared to death man i don't know i I, it was like mp3s it was like right after napster so it was like click on these mp3s and you plug your plug your headphones into your computer and you listen once and you're like what am i supposed to be getting here and there was like there was some background to the curriculum. Like there definitely was some background of like what you're supposed to be getting. And it was content. Like I'm thankful that Madison is a city where like music lovers are everywhere. And I was, I was playing in a few bands at that point, never anything good, but that like the music scene is great in Madison. And so I felt like I was a part of that. And so it was like, did I know Eric Dolphy's albums before I went to any Richard Davis classes? Yeah. Did I know him? Well, no. Right. But 
but at least I, I felt like I knew what I was coming into there. I don't think he ever asked me a question in class. Nor did, if I said something, I can't remember if I ever did. That was like a consumption kind of class. There were some vocal people in there, but I think they were his jazz students. And I was well aware of my lack of musical talent. I wasn't taking jazz like performance class from this guy. No way. No. No, but um, but he had some stories. He he told some stories, man. So you, you played with Miles Davis, and so he had like those stories of like how wild Miles Davis was. But like, oh, that's what I remember from college. It's like, yeah, I know I was going into medical school, but I was just gonna. I had I had to take humanities classes, and I was like, this is this better be great, right? And so I hope almost everything I took, I took a lot of math too because I found it fun. But like the goal, the goal with all that was was pleasure. It was like. I want to learn things I want to learn. I don't want this to feel like work. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure the, the I don't know, the medical classes probably felt more like work because it was more like the background stuff that you wanted to do, right? You're th- you have the goals of up here, but you got to get through this background, the foundation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although I, I don't know. I'm that guy that also gets excited about organic chemistry and like the lines and like the, the patterns of how, you know, molecules work. And, and I, and I'm also the doctor that wants to bring it in and be like, Hey, you know, that medicine we're talking about, do you know how molecularly similar it is to another medicine and that we choose to use them differently? Right. That was a conversation two days ago, right. Or yesterday. Was that yesterday? Yeah. I was talking to um, somebody I work with where it's like, you know, organic chemistry coming back to slap us in the face like you know <laughs> i i enjoyed it i i i think that you can find positives in nearly every experience in life and um you probably thrive better if you can absolutely um so is there anything else you want to mention on uh on that side of school because there is a really cool thing that you mentioned to me earlier that i wanted to get into i think yeah and we can transition this will transition into it that that you know you have like your friends from a certain class right and that i spent a lot of college not in college right and so i have friends that graduated in like four years or five years my roommate in five years and and i think it's it's great if you know that this is your last education four and five years in undergrad great idea but if you're looking at four more years of medical school and for me, six years of post-medical school training afterwards, I was like, I could probably use not doing this. And I, I was, it was like my junior year and it was late spring too. And my whole thing was like, check all your boxes, check all your boxes. And I kind of had a tab on it. And I was like, I don't really even know what I'm doing next year. Cause I think I've got them all covered. I think and this guy calls me and he's like, it's university of Wisconsin, like huge school not a lot of personal education. It's not like, you know, your advisor. And I certainly didn't know my advisor. He's like, Hey, I'm your advisor. And I was like, I have an advisor. <laughs> this is cool. Like, really? I was like, Hey, what you calling about on my landline? Like what's up? <laughs> you know, he's like, are you going to graduate? And I'm like, I hope so. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like now. And I was like, excuse me. Like what, what, you t- what, what do you mean? He's like, it takes 120 credits to graduate. You have 120 credits. This is like the end of my third year. And I took summer classes. It wasn't like, it ended up being probably the same amount. I took summer yeah. classes because I took music classes in the summer. There was also a, 
like an appreciation music class where like you just go and listen to orchestras play and then fill out questions about the orchestras. Like that's college credit class, right? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. That was fun. Yeah. Um, They did some Philip Glass stuff. Side note from the podcast. Like that was wild day. I'll tell you about it some other time. Um, (laughs) But, but, and he's like, and I was like, my major, they're like molecular biology. And I was like, all right, cool. (laughs) I still don't know what a molecular biologist is. Right. He's like, do you want to graduate? And I was like, um, yeah. Like, that was it. <laughs> so I graduated with none of my friends. And I was going to stay in Madison because it's an awesome city anyway and live like a college kid. I got a job at a lab. Um, but I was like 21. And I don't think this is like intelligence that got me there or, or like hard work even. I'm not even going to say it was that. There was like just dumb luck and opportunism there. Like that's all it was. Um and and just saying all right like i know i've got a lot more ahead of me it's not i didn't take a ton of credits per semester even the math just worked out just just aligned just right right and i was just like all right cool like i don't and i don't certainly don't miss the fourth year of college there but what it left me as is that like a 21 year old college-minded kid that wasn't taking classes surrounded by people that were like studying and like all I wanted to do, you know, is had some bands I was playing in. I was like, can you guys play like every day of the week? <laughs> <laughs> and and dear, my dear friend Mike said yes the most. Um, he was still in school, right? Drummer Mike. Um, okay. Uh, he is not six foot two, but you think he would be in the terms of this category of people who's now a, a neuroradiologist in Phoenix. But he kept saying yes. Great drummer. Great mind. I love him. It's fantastic. I want to. I want to connect with this guy someday. <laughs> all right, man. So, so all we need to do is like say, "Hey, Mike, Columbus, Ohio, awesome place to visit. Worth all your time. You should see our convention center, or something like that." <laughs> oh, hey, I've got a drum kit in the basement, Mike. Let's do this. Let's let's um, let's go back to the great days of the band called Unnecessary Sweater. Unnecessary sweater and was play, one of your band names. Yeah, yeah, and play our hit tune McNasty. Ooh. Yeah. Which Mike sent me like two years ago, Mike sent me a, a recording he had of McNasty. I didn't think one ever existed. He sent me a recording and I I happened to have my son next to me when I played it, my twelve year old. Eleven year old. He'll be twelve soon. And he's like, Oh, that sounds like real music and I was like, dude, that's me and he's like, It's not <laughs> And then he listened to it more and he's like, Yeah, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know you want to see the ultimate truth just ask your kids about you You're like yeah they'll tell you wow i i want to hear mike i want to hear mcnasty uh here live in columbus let's do it mm-hmm. let's plan a trip for you to come out here all right i'll mike fast forward to this section of the podcast where you, <laughs> where you are featured and David Ellis will play bass. I don't even, I don't think he plays bass, but there we are. <laughs> He'll figure it out before you get here. Yeah. Oh yeah. We could, all the shout outs could end up in here. Like Ross could do the sound cause that's his next new cool thing. Right. And, yeah. Um, well, Levi can play bass and, 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 uh, um, in Denver. And I mentioned Trevor, he could play guitar. We're just going to get all the people round them up. They're coming to Columbus. Yeah, but no, because <laughs> because the, the most interesting friends always have something to do. Uh, so you're saying they're busy. 
<laughs> well, you're right. You're absolutely right, and they all are like yeah. that. Where and and I don't I don't hold them accountable because I would probably have similar responses, and maybe each of us individually could get into a a deep dive on that topic. Yeah, I I had to I had to bring us full circle here. That was well done. <laughs> that was great. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so making it through school, got all these cool friends, and then you are set up to graduate uh early and then you do so right mm-hmm. and then what suspense because <laughs> there is a really cool thing that happened and it wasn't me working in a lab for two years because that did happen and there's nothing cool about that but i realized you touched on something like a huge pivotal part of my life of getting through school and making friends in school And I got to talk about the Burrito Boys before we get into the trip around the world, which we'll talk about, right? Let's do it. But I got to talk about the Burrito Boys because, um, because that's, I think that Burrito Boys taught me what it was like to have like a friendship, like a real friendship and value those things. You know, we talk about, I, I can tell you forever about how I don't value material possessions, but friendships, oh, right. Like worth so, so much investment. And burrito night itself came around my sophomore year when when I just wanted to get the people I love together. And it was like, let's make burritos. And the first rendition of burritos, you know, is like bring some people together that have similar feelings about music and each other. And the first burritos were pretty archaic, like the burritos that we made. We're just getting creative. And there was a few like Shawnee, Shawnee, one of the burrito guys you know he's like not maybe a classic burrito boy but one of the guys that we hung out with a lot brought beef for stew one time for the burritos like that's what he bought and i was like i don't know and so it it ended up not being like a chipotle burrito but also like having a very clear recipe like every one of the five major burrito boys the ones we've had a chat going for 15 years now 20 years um we know what the recipe is and we can say it left and right, but we would get together every Wednesday and that was sacred time. And that sacred time at that point in our life was no women. Right. It was, and, and for like a decade burrito night was no women. We tried to do it on Wednesdays. We get together, we'd hang out. And, um, the people, these people became the people that knew me best. Right. And so what does that mean for a guy like me? It means that they found all of my weakest points and they have for the last, 20 years right and made them very visible to me and that's not it like there's still the love there and we cared for each other and we've got all the best stories about the stuff that we've all done together and we almost got together two months ago but i went and got covid and i didn't go but i mean uh yeah i i the the we're still doing it right and and it also it brings you back to those friendships like that was my they are you guys are my original like tight bunch of friends right and and our chat is active still like we still talk a lot and we do always want to see each other and when each burrito boy got married and we're all now wearing rings that was a big deal right like that was so great to see each other and so um a few lessons from burrito boys in college that i thought were really important one of them is you should keep the people around you that keep you humble and maybe make you hurt a little bit right like these same guys that always knew i wanted a nickname and that's why i never got a nickname right <laughs> that like and it's still a f- great joke that there were a lot of good nicknames that would have fit me and they refused it because they knew i wanted it because it's one of those things like 
you know, keep, keep me humble. Cause I need it. I need it, man. Like I really need it. Um, so that was a really big part of, of burrito boys. And then, um, there was another one that I'm all of a sudden losing my grasp on about like meaningful things about being a burrito boy. And I'm all of a sudden losing it. And so I may have to let this one pass. Cause I had a second thought about the value of these guys in my life. Cause it's big. Right. But it can't be that big, Nathan. You completely forgot about it. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's there. Oh yeah. A, an awesome tidbit about this is that I'm the only, you know, Jewish Nathan Samuel, right. Um, the, the burrito boys are, Chris, 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 Ryan, Christopher, and Nathan Samuel. It's a right? lot of Chris. And so what we ended up with is tall Chris. Uh, one guy's named Captain, just because there's a reason. We don't need to get into it. One of them's named by his last name, who's also tall and on the list of charming men, right? <laughs> And then because we needed to name the other Chris and we didn't have a good one, we had tall Chris. And so this guy became medium Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Very creative. (laughs) Medium Chris and I, who did my longest fish tour together, like seeing fish and driving through the parking lots and selling grilled cheese sandwiches in the parking lots. Let's get to that that in a little bit. All right. We can hold off on that. So, so the, the aside, sorry, I took you on the aside because I couldn't leave the burrito boys out in terms of like meaningful life growth. Um, I was going to go to medical school, right? And I, what do you do? You got to check all the boxes. You got to take that MCAT test and get a number that suits the schools. And you have to do research and you have to have good grades and you have to make your application look pretty and write a, in retrospect, my essay was probably junk. Um, you have to write personal statements for like every step through medicine and only with the tutelage of a, the great Campbell Stewart did I realize a, another great influential person in my life um did i realize that writing a meaningful personal statement really helps you get places right that was in medical school so i had the application in place i thought i was good and i wanted to stay in madison i wanted to be able to play with unnecessary sweater right on like a medical school weekday night which in retrospect would not have worked because i wouldn't have passed right um, but that's what I wanted. I wanted to stay in Madison, go to medical school in Madison. And in terms of what they needed, I thought I, I, I thought I had it right. And I went, I went to interview that day. I had hair down to my back, which in Madison, Wisconsin, is probably okay, right? <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, and my my at the last second, my interview viewers changed, and somebody canceled, and I had to interview with the dean, which was fine, right? And he's an, an anatomy professor. And I, you know, I, I, I literally went to work in the morning before my interview across the street from the medical school. I worked in a lab across the street and went across the street from my interview. I actually went back to work afterwards. It was just like, it was just a day, you know, and I was just like, I'll do my best, you know, hopefully you know, make this work out. And we were talking, the Dean and I were talking about like real life knowledge because it was my thing in college where it was like, take all the other classes besides medicine, because I bet you, I'm not sure, but I bet you like patients are going to want a human in there. Right. They're going to want somebody that gets humanity. And he's like, I remember him saying clearly, he's like, Hey, you know, that's a great point. And I teach anatomy and I think like my students need to know this too. And he's like, he's like, so here's an example of it. Like, you know, Achilles. And I was like, who? He's like, Achilles. 
Uh, and it's just this like horrible, terrible, awkward science where it's like, I know everything about humanity, <laughs> right? <laughs> Except for the one reference you're giving me. And he started telling me about this Greek person with the heel and whatever. And I'm like, you know, and I didn't have a chance to say, oh, Achilles, right? Like I just didn't get there. And he's an anatomy guy. And so Achilles, that would make sense for him, right? And the way the conversation went, I just didn't, it didn't happen. And everything that came after that was like the worst first date you've ever had. Like, just like, I think he and I both just wanted the time in the room to end. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like, you know, when can we find a safe conclusion for this experience? Or I was like, or for me, I'm like, how can I save myself, Dean? Pursue. Right. (laughs) If you're out there, Ed, pursue. It's been a long time, man. (laughs) I should give you a call. Um, I learned a lot from that. And one thing I learned is that I didn't get in. And um and that was tough for me. I applied to a bunch of other schools. Like it's not irrational to think that you're not going to get into the school you want to in medical school. It's competitive, right? Applied to to where I ended up going and a bunch of other schools and um and so I didn't get into Wisconsin and I was like, "All right, you know, you guys have a wait list. They're like, you're on the wait list. You're just too low on it. And we're not going to get to you. They were honest, which I appreciate actually. Uh, but I was talking to a friend of mine again. Oh, I get to do so many shout outs today. This is so cool. So I was talking to a buddy of mine named Ben Steinberg, big fish head, good dude. Um, a good dad too. I can just tell, you know, loves his kids. Right. This is way pre children. Right. And he said, Hey man, my brother, he's a he's a doctor. He, you know what he did? You know, you speak Hebrew, Nathan. You should do this. Go travel. You know, the beaches. The beaches, right? The beaches in Thailand and wherever. There's Israelis everywhere because they get out of the army and they travel. And, you know, if you speak Hebrew, you're going to fit right in. You can just travel and see stuff. And I was like, you mean leave the United States? <laughs> Americans <laughs> don't do that. Let's look up some data about, you know, percentage of Americans that own a passport, right? Americans don't leave, right? And, but I, you know, I, I started looking into it. I had a friend, uh, Noel Gickling. I'm going to call everybody out today, right? <laughs> um, who was living in Costa Rica then, like right at that moment, college buddy. He should be six foot two, too, by the way. Um, he's not, but he should be. Um, and I was like, uh, I started reading books. This is what I do when I get excited about something. Because I was just going to travel for a year and then, and then, uh, try again for medical school so i started reading books and reading books and i'll i do that every time i get excited about something and i'm like i could think of all these countries um it, during this time when i had this job i i got in the habit of just buying every guitar i could find that looked like it was the right price and fixing a few parts on it nothing that required skill just like quick replacements and this is the heyday of ebay and i just pop them back up on ebay I probably went through a couple hundred guitars, much to my roommate Matt's dismay, because there were just piles of guitars in the apartment. I'd plug them in, and they'd shriek and break his ears, and I remember him hating me for it. But I sold all those guitars, just all of them. Uh, and and at least with that and some money I'd saved, I was like, all right, I can take a whole year and travel, but only third world countries, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, and I'm just gonna I can leave in January. I can come back for interviews, maybe probably just go back to Asia, wherever I was, and then ideally go to medical school the next year. And I, uh, 
I took a practice trip to Costa Rica. I've since been back a bunch of times and hopefully I'm able to bring the kids there in March and um, and saw Noel and <laughs> some great stories from that trip. <laughs> some funny stories from that trip. Uh, Noel and my friend Adam and um, Noel and I are still in touch. You're thankful for your friends of 20 years that you're still in touch with. And um, and so I took this practice trip, came back just so excited, right? To take this whole trip. Don't come back, just leave mostly by myself. Um, and I was getting the things in place and I, I've just like written off medical school. I'll come back six, seven months. I'm, I'm going to go there eventually. Like I'm, I don't really have another life plan, so I'm going to make it work. Um, and University of Vermont calls and they say, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> this is Burlington, Vermont. For those of you that have been there, everybody would want to live there if they were me, right? Like, <laughs> oh, Burlington, Vermont. Yeah, the the city where my favorite band came from and where some of them still live and next to mountains and snow and great food and all the things like Burlington. I could talk about it forever, right? And they called, they said, hey, you can go to medical school here and you can go to medical school. And I was like, oh. All right. Well, I planned this whole trip and all of a sudden I think this is going to be formative, right? Like, oh, shoot. And so I called him and I said, hey, does anybody ever like get in and then come the next year? (laughs) (laughs) A a great motto for mine in life. Ask for what you want, even if it seems irrational, as long as you're not like offending somebody. Right. Just see, you know, explore something. And they said, sure. Right. Uh, And they said, one person decided they wanted to go on tour with their band for a year and then they came back. Right. Uh, and he ended up in my class too. And, um, was in, in retrospect, it's funny cause it was a kiss cover band that he was touring with <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Jason. Uh, so, so, um, so they said, sure, do this. And I just remember actually I was in my, I had like an office with one window and a bunch of molecular biology junk i didn't really enjoy that job and i remember like even like falling on the ground and laying back and just looking at this guy and just being like yes like this is all falling into place i've got nine months to travel and then just make sure i end up in burlington vermont september 1st or whatever uh and that was just so exciting to me and i was going to go eastward around the world and had it planned but it was totally ready to pivot at any point and you know make sure i just saved enough money and being a cheap backpacker is a thing to do. The thing that started the trip was um, was birthright. Really? Yeah. Okay. Right. And being being the economical opportunist that I want to be. Right. Birthright. For those of you unaware, Google it. Millennials go. Um, <laughs> is is a free trip to Israel for Jews. And uh, I was I met age criteria, and I I'm at least Jewish enough, and. So I was going to time it so that I was going to do birthright. And then when, and I called him and I said, can you, it's free. It's hundred percent free. Like you don't open your wallet unless you want to buy a souvenir. Uh, and so my whole plan was go and do that to start off the trip that gets you over the Atlantic ocean. And I, I, I'd love to go to Israel. Sure. Right. There's history there. There's a lot there. And I was like, Hey, can you just, just book it a one way trip? Cause I, I'm staying out there. And they're like, we have to book you a, a round trip flight. I was like, all right, sorry. We're going to miss that flight. Yeah, if you look at the financials of birthright, they're fine. Uh, and I don't, I'm not worried about it. Um, so there's like 10 days of birthright to start off the trip. And um, 
a, a criticism of me, which is completely valid, is I don't like being told what to do and when to do it. And that was like a 10-day organized trip and like a weekend. I was just like, oh, this is bad. Uh, and also, without getting into politics too much, um, the because uh, uh, I don't really think sharing political opinions on the internet has a lot of value, really. But there was a little bit of glorification of the death of non-Zionists. <laughs> and I remember just being like, I'm not going to share my views because my views don't matter as much in the situation. But can you really glorify the death of anybody ever? And that's that's another conversation about like how you feel about humans, that even the most evil human or the wrongdoing human, is their death ever a celebration? Right. That's an interesting thought to leave someone with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, well, and you can have your opinion. I don't even need to argue with it. I can just like, if, you, if you're curious, like, how do I feel about it? I'm like, well... A person's death, an uh, untimely death, is I don't think ever worth celebrating. And I don't think that evil is born either. So this is my own opinion, right? That like it's a product of people's upbringing or whatever it is. And that you can learn from every human in the world. But once they're dead, you can only learn what happened to them. Right, so... Um, that was not well accepted on my birthright Israel trip when there was the conversation of the death of many Lebanese people. But... Um, that happened and then everybody got on the plane to leave and I kind of waved goodbye and just never got on the plane and um, started going south and then walked across to Jordan so if you cross it a lot at the southern border the Red Sea's right there you know all the great stuff in Jordan you, you, I had a buddy from Madison with me still at this point and we you you taxi cab takes you so far and there's this like middle zone that's neither country and then you just walk for a while like on this road in the middle of the desert with nothing else until you you know you're in like the no man's land neither israel nor jordan small section and then i guess you cross some line and you're in jordan in like desert road in the middle of the desert and and it was january and in the south of israel and jordan like that's a tourist area but there were no tourists because it's cold then so we got there and they acted like they hadn't seen anybody in a while, like the people at the cross. And they were like unpacking our bags in Jordan <laughs> and they pulled out a melodica, right? So melodica being um, a piano that you blow with your mouth, like a little instrument. You can hold it in your hand. Google it, millennials. Melodica. <laughs> um, they pulled it out of one of our bags. We had a, I had a guitar with me too. And they it was our first cross from like, you know, two Jewish guys going into a, a, a Muslim country. And they looked at me with a very serious face and all of their same mustaches. And they looked at us and they said, you can come into Jordan, but you have to do something first. And they paused for a long time. And they said, you have to play us a song. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, oh, God, this is great. And so we did. Right. That's what we did on the way into Jordan. We played them a song. And I think that's a good theme for the time spent in Jordan and Egypt afterwards. Uh, you know, a couple of Jewish guys surrounded by a whole lot of Muslim people uh, is that we are, our hearts were open and our minds were open and neither of us were very attached to our Jewish identities enough to consider anybody around us an enemy and neither was anybody else. Um, and uh, the absolute message everywhere we were and we really took the time to stop and listen to people, right? was all the same is we're probably closer as brothers 
there was a lot of men to men conversations as part of that culture, unfortunately. We're closer as brothers than we are enemies. And I don't know if I learned that lesson adequately before actually being in a country where that was a you know, it was on their soil to learn that. It's an interesting lesson to learn in that moment. Right? You're thousands of miles away from home. And it's just that's a real moment, right? That's a very real moment. Yeah. I never felt not at home, though. Yeah, that's good. But it was whether Middle East or later in Asia or even later in Central America. And maybe that's just how I, I attach myself to home now. I, was, I left Wisconsin with a plan to move to Vermont, so I really didn't have a home. Like, I didn't live anywhere. Like, I had an address. It was probably my mom's house. But... I didn't have a home, right? And I would encourage people to do that too if you ever have a chance. Um, because like there's all these details of travel that you could get into, but really it's like take homes. It was I felt I felt like the person, the person that left for that trip, the Nathan that left for that trip, lots of rough edges, lots of insecurity. My insecurity persists to this day. It's just different kind, right? Um, not a lot of skills in like real humanity, like understanding the human condition. Not a lot of humility that persisted to, to this day too, just in a different form. Um, and and most of that trip I I took alone and was very alone and lonely for a lot of it too, in in many different countries. But this big take of that that nine month trip is that the guy the guy that came back from the trip like the me that i that came back i felt really different about how i interacted with people um and how i you know i've mentioned a lot of times tonight already how like you keep your friends close right you tell them that and you don't i, I don't i prefer not to waste my time and i mean that like you know I'm busy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Waste my time with people that don't give you that don't that don't have that because it's it's there are enough people out there that have it, right? That like can get real with you. Um, but I came back ready to really open my heart to people and not be so defensive and and to be humble with people and that helped with relationships. Like I didn't my relationship with women in college similar to a lot of people in college probably was like i can't settle down you know uh and uh, i uh, a note here is that you know within a few months of living in vermont i met my now wife and could settle down um and could open my heart and could stop and and realize that sitting in front of me was probably the greatest human that i've ever met and that's my wife um, in terms of like the depths of her heart and um, the the joy she can bring to people around her, there's there's no one like her in the world to me. Um, and I really think that without that trip into the abyss, into not having a home, not having a sense of home, 
I had to realize that it was it was inside of me. And that sounds really cliche. You know, you say it out loud, like my home was inside my heart, right? That's like it's a little cringy. I know <laughs> hearing it out I loud. I know, right? And and um and it's like it's something you put up in your kitchen, like home is where the heart is. Yeah, like, it's, like, you know, it's really. like live, laugh, love. <laughs> it's totally that. And it's like I don't want to play into the cliche, but it's like it, it the there was a lot learned when you realized, like when you, I gave it, I didn't have any possessions or like whatever I carried. I carried in my bag. It was like a pen, you know, and a passport and a toothbrush and a couple pieces of clothes. Like nothing came with me, camera. Um, and, and boiling it down to that was huge for me, uh, in terms of my own growth. Um, to the point where I've had a conversation with my wife about this, about the fact that our children don't know it. And if they're listening to this bummer, cause I just gave it away that when your time to travel comes, we've stashed some money away that you're only going to find out about when that time comes. And I don't want you to know it's there. So hopefully you never listen to this kids. Um, but I think it's really important. It's there's, there's funds stashed away to make sure that, that, they have that lovely opportunity to grow as humans if if they come about it if that if that's something that makes sense in their life that's awesome that's so cool um but <laughs> where where else did you get to go on this <laughs> trip yeah. i the tra- travel is my favorite topic, oh cool so. yeah yeah um so it was it was um by foot to jordan right and and then by boat, by like sea liner thingy over the Red Sea into Egypt. Really interesting part of that is three days after we took one of those boats, one of them capsized. Like these are big boats too. Wow. And that's what we took into Egypt. There's more stories on this trip about like, you know, timing and death. So, so it was, it was and the plan was to fly eventually from Cairo to Bangkok. And we were really going to do that fast or slow. Um, and I'm glad we did it slowly because this is, you can Google this too, the tsunami that hit Southeast Asia in, uh, in 2004, five, one of those two, somewhere end of four, early five, um, the tsunami hit while we were in Egypt and the plan was to go to Bangkok. And it, I mean, that tsunami took out a lot of the backpacker scene, but a lot of the, right where we were going. And, and so th- we, <laughs> what's funny is we didn't even think to delay. Like we heard about the tsunami and we're like, all right, we'll go when we want to. Like it wasn't, it was just kind of like, you're going to go and experience the world however it is. So we did the Egypt thing for a bit. And I would always suggest, you know, there's always the classic like pyramids and sphinx and all that stuff. That's not where it is. It's all in the Red Sea. The Red Sea is gorgeous. You get underwater and see what the clearest water you've ever seen. But the Nile the, so the, the Nile, as it flows north to south, go further upriver on the Nile. So like um, the southern part of Egypt near Aswan Dam there. Um, that's where all the culture I felt like sat. And a lot of like where a lot of humanity and people experiences happened. And when we really tried to get lost, like we got this one boat to take us across the Nile one day to the non-tourist side of the Nile, like away from all the ruins and climbed this big sand dune and then went down the back side of it and ended up in this town that was all blue. Like everything was painted blue and we never figured out why because no one spoke any English and I don't have the Arabic skill. It's it's not close enough to Hebrew. Like you can kind of count and that's it. Like five is five. And yeah. Whatever. But 
Um, the only thing they could say in English was "Give me money," than <laughs> 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 they did. Um, and I remember that part of it, but uh, I always suggest get lost, right? Like get lost, get yourself lost. You can't, and you really can't. So, the, on the topic of get lost, we'll get there. Um, we eventually, this Kirill and I were still together at this point. We split once we got to Southeast Asia, but flew from Cairo to Bangkok. And there's a big backpacker circuit there. It ends up being like Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, Thailand. And people just do a circuit there. And it's built for it. It's ready for it. And um, if you have time, you can go really slow and just do a ton of great things and experience great people. And the topic of get lost, there was a point where I rented a motorcycle. And I was just like, no matter how far away you go from civilization or creature comforts or whatever you still feel like you're home it's like you can't get away and i was like how much can i challenge this and there was a day that i just got on a motorcycle and it was like a you know 150 cc yamaha bike in laos and just went north <laughs> right like there's a chinese border there somewhere i don't know you'll find it eventually i I mean i don't know right and you can't go fast to get there and it's like no matter what i had the feeling that that i could at least make do and i kept when there was a when there was a fork in the road like there's i would always take the road that looked rockier or you know it it was a dirt bike so i could do it too as long as someone went that direction i would just follow them and I just, I tried to get lost and I tried to get lost and I tried to get lost and never felt lost. And I ended up stopping. I was hungry. I was stopping in this village, which is like three thatch huts. Like was, all you'd have to do to get found again is name a city and point and they could point you and you could go back everywhere. You know, they get around with motorbikes. And so like you could always get gas and you can always get food. And I'll tell you that 10 cent bowl of chicken soup was like such a, you know, it was a learning experience for me. It was like, I don't, I'm not sure I'm going to get further lost than this. And I found an amazing bowl of chicken soup as lost as I could get in Laos. And it's another message without like putting a sign up in your kitchen. Home is where the heart is or whatever. Like as long as you're you and you have a toothbrush, you're probably all right. Right. It's a big lesson. I think you need to learn it traveling like that. Like you don't really need as much as you have. And that chicken soup, um, I picked up my spoon that they gave me. I, I, how do you negotiate a bowl of chicken soup? Like you, I, I always learn 10 words of the language in whatever country and no matter what country it is. That includes Quebec, like, you know, the Quebec side of Canada. Just learn some French, right? Just yeah. enough, right? Um, but wherever you go, 10 words. And ideally, like some novelty words. Also, if you plan to interact with people that their ling- primary language is in English, especially in medicine, um, and you know your top 10 languages at your hospital, see if you can learn a couple words for those people, right? Right, just, hey, I made an effort to understand at least some part of your language or your culture. I right. it's important. So it was enough to, I can, I can eat comb, right? You can say comb anywhere in Southeast Asia and probably end up with some chicken. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm sorry, comb is rice. And ga, I think. 20 years, it's been 20 years, I'm doing my best. So I picked up this spoon and it was really light silver colored spoon it wasn't plastic your your mind has already said subconsciously this is a metal spoon before you picked it up it's undoubtedly a metal spoon and it was a metal spoon it made tinking noise on the table oh interesting but it wasn't plastic 
and it was it, it kind of had like a the look to it was it looked like it was made by hand but it was still super light like not like the spoon that you're gonna pull out of silver around here what a spoon's made of here i don't know stainless steel, steel sometimes yeah probably right so high density metal right yeah and so i'm picking this one up and i'm like this is not a high density metal but this is a metal right it's made of a light metal and i was like i have no idea what's going on right i'm in at this point northeastern laos so on the laos vietnam border um for those for those um lao um people out there that know the country i shouldn't pronounce the s i know i get it but for other folks that see the s at the end i'm gonna pronounce it right lao probably it's probably better uh, so I pick it up and I, and, and all right, no shared language except for my 10 words. I'm picking it up and I'm showing them that this spoon is really light. And I'm trying to ask them, why is my spoon so insanely light? What is it? Like it's in so, it, it's lighter than a plastic spoon almost. Like I, I can't figure it out. And clearly I need to know, <laughs> right? <laughs> like analysis paralysis. I need to know what's up with this spoon, right? And so they look at me and they go, Boom, boom. Boom, boom means two things in Southeast Asia. One of them means hooker, which is not what it was. Uh, but boom, boom in this case. And they're like, you know, they say USA, boom, boom. And they're so <laughs> pouring the spoon. And then it all it all pulled together. The So there's a whole bunch of unexploded ordnance um, of, of USA mines and USA bombs and things from the Vietnam War that is in northeastern Laos. Lao. And yeah. and if you if you're up there you'll see there's a lot of different um non-governmental organizations who are there to clear it and cover the social aspects of that which is far beyond this conversation today. But there's a there's a USA dropped aluminum all over that country and those resourceful people who don't have a lot of other ways to get metal, they melted bombs to make my spoon. <laughs> that is incredible. Right? That is like insane and not like a bad way, like, like a good way. Like your that tax dollars wild. work. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Your tax dollars would work. That spoon was your parents' tax dollars at some point, <laughs> right? That, that, you know, the world comes full circle because any person you ever meet or experience is going to come back to you. Yeah. Any experience, it's all going to come full circle. You have to believe because it's going to be true. And I, you know, I have like life examples. I think we've talked about them before. I think we have of like, separately. Yeah, of like people, this. people coming back to you that you never thought would have come back. Yes, yes, we have. Yeah, it's like this aluminum spoon, right? <laughs> but it wasn't lost. Yeah, yeah. So that that bowl of chicken soup was the. Uh, I don't know the get lost moment. I guess for you, it was as far as I could get, but it never felt lost. Like I yeah. wanted to be like, I wanted to be the guy who recovered from his own lost dumb, right? Or like, and I was like, I was lost and I got found, but never <laughs> got lost. Like it was, it was like seeking adventure. Like, oh, I'm really lost because that's going to be a good story to tell later. But it never happened. Right. You're certainly seeking adventure if you're traveling the world. And that sense of lostness was like three months into a trip in Southeast Asia. I don't think it's attainable or what didn't feel attainable. And I think folks that have done long trips in areas like that would say the same, like you, you stick me anywhere. 
compass and there's some people around and I can I'm fine. I don't yeah. feel lost at all. Um so where else where else did you get into? You mentioned Central America. Yeah. Yeah, Costa Rica and Nicaragua. Um and then back to Costa Rica and then back to Nicaragua. So you've been all over the place. On that yeah. Yeah, on that trip and then um Canada. <laughs> I had to find an apartment in Burlington for for medical school, and so I I had to come back to the states for a minute and stop by Canada. There's somebody I met when I was traveling, and and I stopped by and saw her for a bit um, on my way to Burlington, and then came back and flew back to Central America. I was like, <laughs> I'm not ready to go back yet. I don't, I do, I don't, I don't need flushing toilets. Not yet. <laughs> it's not time yet. It's my last chance. I mean, because once you're once you step foot in the medical school that opportunity is gone basically. Yeah. Like you can take a one month trip if you really plan it, but to get totally lost and not have attachments and not have somebody needing you and all those things. Like it's the second you step foot in medical school and get your first loan bill. Like you're, you're next thing you know it, you've got a family and, and you can't just do that anymore. Right. Um, so uh, asking you something on the spot here in conscious of time and everything. Yeah, yeah. We are at like two hours. No way. Absolutely. Yes way. Oh. Do you want to pause and we'll pick it up in another episode down the road? Is that is that a known thing with this podcast? Uh, I've already had another one I had to split that was three hours long. Whoa. Yeah. And... um. There's another one at the time of this recording. It hasn't been released yet. They're coming back for like episode two and three already planned out. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I mean, it's, it's a good, a good spot to pause and ponder yeah. lostness and humanity. Yeah, I think so too. That's, that's why I kind of wanted to bring it right here. Yeah. So let's, let's plan another episode. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. It, well, it, and I'm really busy, so it's going to take. <laughs> so I'll pencil you, you in. Uh, it's December right now, just before Christmas. Uh, how about like Memorial Day? Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I want you to know, Cameron, that you're only so worth my time. So <laughs> out there in podcast world, that will be a test of me actually living up to what I'm trying to live up to is how quickly you see this epi- second episode come out. Yeah. Is, is whether I can can make you a priority and and we're coming up on holidays so it's hard to change priorities with you know the tradition i like the challenge okay yeah. my my calendar is fairly open yeah. so we we can leave um although it's your job to finish your show but i feel like i have to leave a note is that okay for me to leave a note too so i i asks uh people every episode so you're gonna have you have more than one episode so you can do this again yeah um there's one piece of advice that you want to leave with uh whoever's listening or your kids Mm -hmm. grandkids Mm -hmm. what uh what's that one piece of advice it's good it's good so you actually get me to to leave this this thing dangling here yes right so um what's the one piece of advice is that you need to go watch the movie stop making sense Right. Stop making sense. It's a music when, movie. Talk, when was that made? Talking Heads, 80s. 80s, okay. Yeah. Talking 80s heads, movie. Talking Beautiful. Heads, Stop Making Sense. Um, and just watch it without question. 
and there's there's two parts of the advice and one of them is um the you just got to watch it for the musical experience but also watch the the side parts there's like a there's a bunch of little extra little things and david byrne from talking is like one of the most brilliant people i've ever come in contact with in terms of media um had this one thing and and every time he was asked a question he interviewed himself he said i'll tell you later <laughs> so he has all of his answers and so that's a good way for for um me to to leave this first part of the podcast is um if you ask me any more questions my answer is going to be i'll tell you later <laughs> i love it awesome thank you so much for hanging out uh and making this a priority finally i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm gonna mess with you about it that's <laughs> ah, great <laughs> Uh, yeah, thank you so much for hanging out. I really appreciate it. Um, I am very excited to sit down again and talk about more things that were kind of glazed over mm. uh, in this episode, and we can really dig into medical school and life afterwards. Mm. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, thank you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fatal to Prejudice. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, please visit my website at CameronChats.com and fill out the contact me form. Please fill out the subject line as podcast interview and write me a small blurb on why you or someone you know should be a guest. I'll leave a link in the description for ease of access. You can support this podcast by listening to it on your favorite podcasting site. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Another way to support is by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fatal to prejudice. Patreon is the only monetary support system. If you would like to sign up and support through there, I am forever grateful for you. Again, thank you for tuning in.